What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. If you've ever been walking through your house, caught your reflection in the mirror, and then got caught hitting a front double bicep, hit, hit the like button. How do you like that, Scott? I think we all have. Like What's that. up, man? All of our programming is brought to us by uh, True Nutrition. If you use our code THINK, you'll, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll help to support our programming. Plus, you'll get some awesome, high-quality, third-party tested supplements. Scott and I are back today. Scott's got a bunch of um, a bunch more then versus now, dude. We got a lot of really good feedback on the uh, the, the last episode, all the then versus now stuff we were talking about. I mean, it's it's especially from the, some of the old schoolers. You could literally do a. I mean, this is this is actually Victoria is someone who can obviously appreciate this as much as anyone, being the sport historian that she is. Yeah, yeah. I think connected with so many sport historians. Like there's, this is a topic that anyone who's been around for like a decade or more can, can I think, um, tap into and recognize as being like, wow, there's a lot that's changed, Yeah, you know, exponentially. It's like technology, which has driven a lot of it. I think it's, things are changing exponentially. Dude, Um, there's a lot that has changed since I started. Like when you say then versus now, I even think about like my first contest prep until today. And how much has changed in, you know, 10, 15 years versus, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we could go even further back 20, because I remember when I was a kid and what things were like back then watching my parents train and remembering what the gyms yeah. were like then compared to what the gyms are like now. I, I right. do want to say one thing I want to remember is this isn't just like a, things were better back in my day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there are some yeah. advantages today. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, hell yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It just made me think one giant thing. And we can, I don't even know if we covered this topic or not, but it just popped in my head. I remember, you know, in the early 2000s when I was in Arizona at the, it used to be a Gold's Gym and they changed it. Um, it's been changed a couple of times. I don't, think, I don't know if the gym's even open anymore, but, uh, and I would, if another competitor like came in the gym or kind of became, if I knew someone was a competitor, it was like, Oh wow. Like, you know, it's another unicorn. Yeah. Like we need to like get together and talk and chat. Cause it was such a rare thing. Yeah. And nowadays you open, you pick up your phone, you know, you look around, there's so many, because there's so many more divisions, there's a multitude of reasons yeah. we talked about. Now it's they're they're everywhere. Everyone's a competitor. Yeah. Everyone's competing. And that's neither good nor bad necessarily, but it was such a rare thing to have someone to commune with. Mm-hmm. And that the very nature of that, you know, I think um, changes what's going on sociologically in a group, be it a subculture or not. You know, we're bodybuilding is with the new divisions, especially is much less of a subculture than it once was. So you think about, uh, you know, pick any sort of endeavor that's that hardly anyone's heard of that people, not many people know about. Like for instance, I'm, I have an electric motorcycle, zero brand electric motorcycle. So I'm on some groups on Facebook and electric vehicles are becoming more and more well-known, but there's a, uh, there's some people that are sort of the OGs of electric motorcycles I bet. that a lot of people know. And you go, there's an electric motorcycle forum and yeah. it's still a very small group. It was very much like how the bodybuilding boards used to be back in the day. Yeah. Um, like you go to intense muscle and the super mods that were there, like Dante and Ken Hill, myself, um, a few other guys that aren't well known, probably a lot of listeners, but like on those boards, everyone knew them. They all had, I have 20,000 posts on intense muscle or something like that. Um, and so there's, that's how, that's how a small subculture operates. And now it's very, very different. Yeah. Very, very different in terms let's, of just when you go into the gym. Yeah. So let's dive into this thing, man. What, I, I really wanted to start with one you just had added to your monster <laughs> chart. And that I know. And it's going to be one where I don't want to. This is one of those things where I don't want to come off like we're complaining. But I feel like this is out of our topics. This is one where it would be easy to be like, you know, everything sucks now. Gyms suck. But we're going to talk about gym etiquette. And what gym etiquette right. used to be versus what gym etiquette is now. And I'm going to try to not come off like an old guy. <laughs> I think the thing that I have sort of always recognized, um, I don't know about always, but for so as long as I can remember, basically, so I kind of say always, is that the etiquette in a gym is a function of the, um, the climate, the environment 
uh, that's set in place by the gym owners and the me- and the members as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's a way. Like you go into certain gyms, old school gyms, mom mom and pop gyms, quote hardcore gyms, and you know they you know, they'll say like you know you'll see the sign on the mirror that says your mom doesn't work up work here clean up after yourself mm-hmm. you know um, re rack your weights unless you're not strong enough to do so like there's all sorts of like like that kind of like good humor stuff just creates the type of gym etiquette which i think just makes sense for a gym where we're all recognizing that we're that we're equals there we're we're all are have ownership in the gym even if we don't technically financially own the gym it's our place of getting shit done we care about one another we take care of, we ask to work in all those sorts of things that's like a climate in a gym that is still make is still persists in so many places yeah um, gyms that you go to and then you go to you know the big box gyms where they just are trying to get as many members as possible and they actually prefer that they don't work out there because that makes the gym seem more open to get more members in totally different scenario so if you look at how the landscape has changed in terms of gyms and gym memberships bit more big boxes around than there used to be used to be just like it was golds and powerhouse and world those were the three big box gyms 20 30 years ago and now yeah. we've got so many of them it's like i can can't even hardly count like they keep on changing i'm like people say have you heard about like eos as a gym down here i think it's the name of it hmm, never even heard of it yeah it's like they've got i think it's i think it's the name of the gym i can't even remember them now like i don't like literally they're coming around so often so that the whole landscape on an average changes the function of the big box gyms yeah. and that of course means that you've got gyms where they don't care about the etiquette like no. the people don't know the etiquette because they've never learned it no one's sort of, you know, taught them like, you know, you stand, it's like someone who's never seen a line before. They don't know to stand in line, you know, yeah, just, yeah. but right in front, like, how would they know? Like, let's say pay close attention. And that means that everyone in the gym is doing those things that sort of like, okay, everyone's, I see everyone standing in line and we do have, you know, some herd instincts built into us. So it's like, I guess I'll do what everyone else does. Yeah. That's a normal thing that people learn. So, but anyway, I, I could go on and on. Um, it is really kind of interesting because a lot of gym etiquette is it's unspoken. Yeah. Yeah. It really is, man. You don't, there's, there's no sign in any gym that says like, don't block someone's view of themselves in the mirror while they're lifting. You know what I mean? Because there are some exercises where you do want to be able to see your, I mean, the mirror is there for that to watch your form and right. you'll see nowadays somebody might just like set up shop right in front of you and there's only three feet between you and the mirror and you're like, well, I'm trying to do this thing. Like right. there, I've never seen a sign that says that. Have you? Yes. You I have. Actually, I have. Yeah. Huh. And in that gym, um, on the matting, they painted on uh, yellow lines that says loading zone only okay. in front of the dumbbell rack. Huh. Okay. So you you pick up your dumbbells like you literally you, and you don't stand there you don't go and you know start doing curls or side laterals in like right in front of the rack where you're possibly blocking someone yeah. as well as taking up like three pairs of dumbbells on the top and the bottom levels of the rack like you've just you've now just commandeered um, you know twelve dumbbells unto yourself because you're standing in the way no one can go get a dumbbell no one can use those dumbbells you're using them all to yourself yeah and that's you know. I heard this term just the other day and it totally applies here. I'm piecing this together. It's a very simple notion. There's an empathy gap that occurs. So that's, so when you, when you empathize with someone, obviously you have a set, you've lived what they've lived. You have a sense of how they may be feeling like, you know, if some, if you've torn a peck and someone tears their peck, you're like, you know exactly how that felt. Like, you know what that meant? Like, I, you know, am I going to be disfigured for life? What's going to happen? All the things that would run through your head, you have it. the empathy gap is basically zero because you've experienced that very same thing. And when then we get into larger groups where there aren't so many spoken rules hmm. and um, someone seems different from you or separate from you, which is something that happens just because of the lack of cohesiveness in a big box gym. Like, because it is a big box gym, they just bring the masses in, et cetera, to some degree. Um, you don't tend to empathize with it. You're just functioning as an individual floating around. You're not functioning as a person who's part of that school of fish, part of that group, part of a, a who has co-ownership in the gym. Yeah. 
So you don't, you basically, this is more simple, is you don't care about other people in large part, you know, so you don't empathize with the fact that someone might be wanting to use those dumbbells mm. or someone might be wanting to have that mirror space. So there's an empathy gap there. You're just like, you just don't care because you're not empathizing with other people. Yeah, I um, can see that. Yeah. And I mean, some people don't even know that they could use the mirror, you know, as biofeedback to see if they're asymmetrical. Um, and some people obviously just want the mirror because they want to look at themselves, <laughs> you know, and, and the, the, nar the narcissus in them comes out. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, ha I have, I, that's the thing. There are like, there are um, solutions to that issue. And like that loading zone thing, I remember seeing that. I'm like, this is brilliant. When they put that in, I'm like, mm -hmm. this is awesome. And it worked, you know? And what that does too, what the, and I, and I had a, a, a gym rules, and you see some really funny ones in the gyms. Um, sometimes there's, you can, you can, there's on Etsy, the people have put them together. I found them on Amazon. You can kind of make your own, but those gym rules are kind of there. And it, it's also a nice thing. Um, not that you like want to be a, you don't be a stickler for the rules, but it creates a little bit of a leverage for someone to gently suggest to someone that they do things a little differently because they're breaking a rule, yeah. you know? So, you know, one of the rules is allow others to work in. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and that just like, that's, um, it's funny cause that one, that doesn't even occur to some people. And that's, that's a function of this. Like we're, we're all sort of separate, you know, it's, it's kind of like, <laughs> kind of like, um, you know, you never see this happen, but imagine a grocery store where they have a, they, ha they have a paucity of grocery carts. Okay. So you ask someone, it's like, Hey, you know, you mind, can we share a cart? Can we like, share you know? a cart? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No one would think to do that unless no. there's like only two carts. Imagine like there's, you got a bigger grocery store. There's only like three or four carts for whatever yeah. reason. And there's two people who need to do a lot of grocery shopping and like they've got some, you know, physical disability such that they can't carry things in like a, you know, hand basket. Right. So they say, Hey, can, look, yeah, we, I see you need the cart and I need the cart. We'll share it. We yeah. have empathy for one another because we have the same situation. It's like, I see you want to train legs hard and I want to train legs hard. This is the best, you know, leverage. This is the humbler pendulum squad or whatever. Right. We both want to use it. Hell yeah. You can work in with me. Let's get this shit done. Yeah. Where's what weight do you want? I've seen it happen it, it, even to myself and I've seen it happen to others where maybe people who don't understand at the gym as much, somebody's walked up and said, Hey, do you mind if I work in with you between your sets? You know, nothing, nothing aggressive, anything like that. And they right. seem kind of confused and, and put off and they may do one more set, but then they just leave. Yes. They you get know? intimidated or yeah, they yeah. think you're being, it's like literally imagine some guy says, Hey, uh, Hey babe, you mind if I share that cart with you? Uh, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you, get away from me, you creepy bastard! The, you know, the, like, we should do a video. That should be our next video, Scott, where we have you with like hidden cameras at the grocery store asking people to share carts with them. <laughs> Let's see what they, how they respond to that. There's a guy on Facebook. I think he, it's Ross Creations. I think that's the like, maybe all one word. Uh -huh. Who all his whole shtick is doing that kind of shit that's what i'm like, saying there's a lot of people that do oh, that we, we that's what oh we'll get into God, well that's so what we'll start funny. doing here yeah he, he like the one i, I want to get off on this topic like the like one, there's so many that popped to mind but like he, he would go into a went to a pizza place um and ordered a pizza for delivery yeah <laughs> when he was there at the oh, store okay yeah. <laughs> and the guy's like he's like you just don't want to take it home with you it's like no, I like to have it delivered. It just feels better when it gets sent to my place. It's like, so you want to have us deliver it to your house, but like, okay, like right now it's like, yeah, I'm going home. I just like to have you guys deliver it for me. It just tastes better when you have it. <laughs> the guy's like, yeah, yeah. okay, <laughs> whatever you say, man. But yeah, it is. And that's, that's simply because no one has, and this is the, this is a function of how you introduce people to the gym, especially if they've never trained before. Yeah. You know, when you give them their tour or you give them their introduction, you don't just like take their money and ask them to sign their, you know, their ATM, you know, their signature so you can do their, their monthly withdrawals. You, you walk them through and say, Hey, like, so, um, you know, we try to like, we all work in together here together. It's, we're all kind of in this. So sometimes people want to work in with you. Like you literally just tell them those things and people will get that. Yeah. But if they've gone six months and that's never happened, all of a sudden that happens, it's like, Oh, we have a share grocery cart policy here at the grocery store. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. You know, it's like, hey, can I use the underside of your cart? Like, 
I'm getting some soda. It's really heavy and I can't carry it in my hand basket. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll meet you at the front in 10 minutes. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. About 15. I love right, that idea. We'll that. We got to do this. Yeah. <laughs> we got to do this. Tino would well, have to be like, there's not enough carts around. Yeah. Tino pointed out to us that he said the newbies and the young guys all start out like this. They eventually learn the old school guys teach them. I could see right. that at Tino's gym. He owns uh I can't say raise the bar, but I'm going to say because he's not supposed to RTB gym. I think I'm supposed to say now uh, okay. in Lincoln Park. But it's one of those old school gyms where I feel like if you were, it's very family oriented feeling like we're a community of people. If you're there training, you're training on. Yeah, he said R- RTB, not raise the bar, Jim. I didn't say that, uh, but uh, it, it's like a community of people. And if you join the gym, you're now part of our community. And I could see that, but I, I can see where that doesn't work in places that are more just, what's the word I'm looking for here, Scott? Like the sterile environment of the big box corporate places. Like you go into a yeah. lifetime fitness or uh, you know a crunch fitness, and it's just like everybody's just their own individual in their own little bubble you know, floating mm-hmm. around the gym and there's no, there's no sense of that. There's no talking to other people really. I don't think the, the purpose of, of those gyms. Um, I mean, literally, I mean, this is just my, you know, there's only, no bones about it. Like the purpose of those gyms is not to help people learn how to create autonomous exercise habits that benefits them physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever it may be. The purpose of those gyms is to get people's money <laughs> In yeah. large part, like they, they're not there to, to help you necessarily. They're there to take advantage. I mean, I'm just speaking, this isn't always the case. I know there are like for their owners of franchise gyms, for instance, we have the best intentions in the world. So I'm not like trying to overly stereotype, but that, that stereotypical big box gym is just there to, to get you to sign up. Um, and, uh, you know, get you and then so they can get you for a, a year. This is why so many people have difficulty canceling their memberships and all sorts of things. They're not there to try to teach you these things. Like here's, here's the etiquette, like people are here to help you. Like if you need, if you go to a machine and there's plates that left on there, then someone neglected to do that. That shouldn't be the case. And feel free to ask someone to help you take them off. If you're yeah. like a smaller woman who can't reach the plates at the top of whatever it might be, you know? They're not, those things aren't part of what they're there for. Those gyms are, they're literally there in many cases to just take advantage of people. Yeah. There's this little story that people might find interesting. So I, when I was running my gym, um, I had to kind of like uh, dig in at one point in time and I hired some consultants, actually three different consultants to help me with the gym. And one of the persons that I, I interacted with a bit, I didn't really hire this person, um, we never did anything together. He was suggesting that I drop my membership down to like, like eight bucks a month. Wow. I think it's what maybe it was in six. <laughs> right. And that was because like they were doing $10 a month, some places, you know, and I was to, just to beat out on a price in a price war, the big box gyms that were around me. Yeah. And of course, you know, my purpose with the gym was to get people in and have create a community have people exercising. And, and I realized that, you know, if I, if I actually had, you know, three quarters of those people who are paying eight bucks a month coming into the gym and regularly exercising, there's no, my gym wasn't big enough to handle that amount of that inflow mm. of, of like, it would just be impossible to make money. And that, and, and, I, and I knew that. And the, the idea of course, is that you only have about 10% of those people who actually work out. Mm, yeah. That's the whole purpose. You sell them a gym membership that's so cheap. And so, you know, it, that barrier to action of the cost is basically, you know, not even a thought. And it's the cheapest, it's the cheapest gym you can get, basically. So they're like, oh, I'll just do this, you know, like, can't beat that. I'm not definitely not losing anything because this is the cheapest right. option I have. And they don't come in. And, but, but they know that, you know, someone who, someone who's just looking for the cheapest gym option, not for the best gym option, is someone who's easily going to be taken advantage of because they're not able to evaluate the quality of what's going to happen to them when they get in that gym, they're going to just be, you know, kicked in. It's like, okay, sink or swim. And most of them sink. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So the gym etiquette, just like, just like he was saying, the gym etiquette has to be passed along in some way. And I think the gym owners do that. I think the, obviously has to be reinforced by the veterans who are nice and cool and, you know, willing to do that. 
And like at, at Derek Osmond's gym, um, there's some young guys that come in there and um, a couple of them who follow me on, on uh, Instagram. And I mean, I love talking to those guys because they're, they're just two or three years in and they're like, I can just sense they've got so many messages coming. They're trying to make sense of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just do my best to at least convey to them my thoughts on things and they trust me. And they're at the, in a perfect place where they're not being um, barraged, kind of getting a barrage and being bombarded with all these different messages about, you know, what exercises should I use and how slow should I go? We might cover that topic later today. Um, all the various things that can really just confuse you um, as far as learning from social media and online sources. Yeah. So I can just say, you know, this is, they just know these things. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that this is the, the bigger picture is that I think if if in those small gyms, like the small community gyms, like that's more of the type of that's the size of a group where humans do best. We're kind of like meant to be in groups of that size. Yeah. yeah. Where you see the same people, you come in at the same time, you're just like seeing the same crew, you get to know one another, you say hello, those sorts of things. And um, uh that's when that information exchange of the older guys, the vets telling the younger guys, like, you know, just basic things. They're totally cool with that. You know, there Absolutely. was once. All right. That, if you got that, another uh, story, I want to hear it, but then we got to move on. Okay. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm trying to get you going here. Cause we've got okay. a lot more. We've got a lot more topics. Tell your story. Yeah. It was once what Scott. Oh, was, this <laughs> is the North powerhouse gym, I think. And, um, there was a couple that was in there. Yeah, and I'd seen them a couple times, and the guy knew a little bit more than the woman did, if I recall. This is a while back. Yeah, and we're all in the dumbbell area, and I was resting between sets, or somehow I kind of knew what they were up to, and I'd showed them something previously. They have one of those inverted ab machines in there. You get in the in into the thing, and the whole thing twists upside down. You can do inverted crunches, inverted sit ups. Okay, and they had no idea what it was. So I showed them how to use it. It's very, it's a great ab machine. So I already kind of made a connection with them. And um, then we're standing over there in the dumbbell area, and there was a guy who was totally in his zone, doing his thing. And I can't remember what it was that he was just in there. In there. Like, they want to use his bench or they want to use the dumbbell. There was something. And he was being totally cool. He wasn't being an asshole and, like, commandeering dumbbells or whatever. But they didn't know they could just ask him yeah, um, if they could work in or if they could use that space. or use, I think maybe he was next to, like, the a preacher curl or something like that because the bench has just been slid too close together and they didn't know that they could just, you know, ask him if he was using that. It was a very, very simple thing. And I just, I just went in and I said, Hey, are you guys wanting to use that? And they're like, they're like, yeah. And there's actually a language barrier too. Okay. They weren't native English speakers. So I just said, Hey man, are you using that bench? And he's like, no, it's all good. You guys can use it. I'm like, okay, cool. So I moved the bench over for him. I just mediated that very, very simple yeah. interaction and it like all of a sudden they got to do they were there using that bench or whatever for a half an hour. They did like three exercises there or something. That's cool. That's they cool wouldn't have done that. It was Yeah, I mean I try to do that. I don't like to disrupt my sure my workouts necessarily doing that, but when you kind of see that I do that. There's another person who I just ran into the other day, um, yesterday as a matter of fact, who always wants to talk to me. He's on my do not talk list, for instance. He's and I saw him out in public. Yeah. And he and he's on my he has so much violated my personal space in you, the gym. You've talked about him before. Yeah, I saw him out in public. He tra- he ran me down in the grocery <laughs> store. He literally ran me down. And I thought to myself, you know, I could just he would have once he had me in the grocery store, there's no there I don't have any way to squirm out of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't have another set to go do. He literally I, I was <laughs> I was laughing because I saw him once. I'm like, oh shit! And I just so I'm going to start on the. I literally walked in. I'm like, I think I'm going to start on this hand and go the other way. Yeah. And hopefully miss him. And then I'm like, ah, now I'm going to go back around. And he went this way, and I went this way, and I was trailing him. And then he came back to get me. And then I trailed all the way around. I literally did three loop de loops <laughs> in the grocery store. And finally, I saw he was like he was he followed me for like 15 minutes. Oh my gosh! And I was picking up things randomly, and finally he came up and grabbed me. And um, so that was a, a decision. I, I kind of felt like a butthead, but I also realized, like, this guy, there's just there's something that I just can't, you know, ev- evade with this guy. He's got – I've told him told him the gym 
you know, that I, I need to train sometimes. I'm going to have to step away from our conversations yeah. or saying hello. And there's certain times and he just doesn't get it. So um, there's an opposite side of me, too. I'm not the nicest guy in the gym. And if someone's I do have boundaries. I'm not very good at them. You but got you got to have boundaries. But I, I think if I can kind of sum this up for anybody who's watching, if you're an older guy who's been in the gym for a long time, you know, be cool. Be cool and help the younger guys. And if you're a younger guy or a younger person, uh, you know, don't be intimidated. Because I, I think sometimes too, people people feel a little bit awkward, especially if they're if they're newer in the gym. Mm-hmm. Don't feel awkward. Just ask. And if somebody's a dick to you, then they're a dick. Period. <laughs> and it's not your fault. You know. Right. Yeah. What else yeah. Have we got here, Scott? Where do we want to Where do we want to go next? I know we kind of jumped see. around with that one. Uh, we had finished before with uh, dieting, kind of pre-contest dieting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And comparing old days with nowadays. And um, this is an interesting one because uh, there's a lot of, there's both, this is one where it's like, I can't say specifically that one's better than the other. Um, There's, but there's, there's a lot of contrast there, which is, it's an apples and oranges type of deal. So back in the day, you had guys like the, there's the classic picture of Lee Priest. Wait, what are, what's the topic? Oh, sorry. Off-season eating. Oh, okay. I'm sitting here looking. I was thinking, well, people will see, obviously, the it'll pull up, I think, when you process afterwards, so the, the off-season for gains, off-season eating for gains okay. um, line in the table. But so back in the day, eating off-season was about just packing on as much mass as you possibly cu- could, like power shoving yeah. is the term. that sometimes I think I conclude that in my Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach book. It was just like, just screw it. Just go to town push the food as hard as you possibly can, like d- do a dirty bulk and just get big and sloppy and nasty and, you know, just go for it. And of course that doesn't always work. Um, a lot of times it won't work cause you just gain so much body fat and then you sure. have to spend like nine months dieting down, yeah. you know, and you end up being the same weight or, you know, not much better cause you're not paying attention. You know, yeah. you're just presuming. Whereas nowadays there's people that are much more, um, cognizant of that possibility mm. and there's been a lot of talk I don't know if you paid attention to this at all but there's been a lot of talk on um, like the Stronger by Science guys and um, Lyle McDonald hasn't been on this but there's been several guys that have been focusing on, I get messages about this continuously about this idea of the P ratio um, which is the ratio of, of protein to body weight that you'll gain. So basically how much muscle mass you gain relative to increase in body weight hmm. um, when someone's bulking up or coming back down again. Okay. So you obviously you want to have lean gains. You want to have a favorable P ratio whereby you know, your gains are coming in the form of muscle mass and not body fat. And so this is where the lean gains idea comes in and you can sort of totally tempt people to saying, you know, let's do a lean, a lean bulk mm-hmm. or clean bulk or what have you. And that can be great, but at some point in time, and this is just sort of my take on it, it's a totally individual um, viewpoint or individual decision to make is that if you need, if you want to get more muscle mass than you've had previously, you may vary, you're going to, hopefully you can change strategies so that you minimize body fat that you may have gained previously. You don't want to just be stupid about it, you know, starting buckets of lard. That's not going to, that's not going to help you out probably, but there's a very good chance you're going to have to gain more body fat than you have in the past. So you've got the negatives of how you look. You've got the negatives of how long it takes to diet that off. You've got potential health negatives that can come along with that as well. Mm-hmm. So, but if you need, if you want to get more muscle mass than you've ever had, um, the thing, the thing many people miss, and I, this is a, this is a topic for an entire podcast as well, because there, many of them have been done is that, you can play around with the P ratio idea and you can look at, you know, the idea that, you know, P ratio may actually be better the fatter you are or what have you. Hmm. But in, um, yeah, there's, and that's a whole line of data that that's, that would be a major tangent we don't need to go off, off, off onto, but that you would, you need to have some estimate of your body comp relative to where you've been. So are you leaner at 200 pounds or 250 pounds compared to where you once were? Yeah. to know how much muscle you're accruing as you gain weight and whether it's worthwhile. So if your previous top fat-free mass, which we're going to use as a sort of a surrogate for muscle mass, was 200 pounds, mm-hmm. um, 
then and you want to be bigger on stage the next time around, you may need to get to where your off-season fat-free mass is 210 pounds. Sure. And that may mean that you need to go from instead of being 230 at your peak in your off-season, you may instead of just 240, meaning you gain a pure 10 pounds of fat-free mass, you may need to go to 265. Yeah. So the P ratio of those extra 10 pounds of fat-free mass isn't great. It's not hmm. favorable. I see. Uh, but as long as you're doing everything you possibly can, that may just be what your your genetic limitations, that may be the only way to get there. Yeah. Is that you have to put that weight on. And, if, of course, if you start to see your blood pressure is sky high, you know, and whatever else you're doing is having adverse consequences, that you know, from blood work or what have you, you can't sleep at night. There's a million one things that, you know, could be your limiters mm-hmm. that could govern whether you're willing to do that. Then you got to hold back. But you can't expect just to have purely lean gains depending on your genetics and improve year after year, year after year without pushing it to some degree. That makes sense. But I think so. So you got to monitor those things. So somewhere an in-between zone is sort of where it makes sense to me is be smart. Don't just power shove everything you possibly can. Yeah. But look at your insulin sensitivity, look at your blood glucose, you know, look at your heart rate variability, look at all your recovery issues, look at your blood pressure, all those sorts of things and see like, so what's actually happening to my body comp? Hmm. Um, am I gaining, am I, do I have more fat free mass when I get to this weight and does it, it's not going to be a pure 10 pounds of fat free mass. It may be a horrible P ratio, but that may be the only way to get there. Yeah. And, and like you're kind of so, saying too, this isn't an invitation to get fat. It's not like we're, it's not like we're trying, you know, but I, I do think, uh, you know, when we compare then versus now, I do think that, um, there is more pressure on people to maintain a lean showable look. Uh, people want, you know, and and we've probably talked about this here before. I've heard, heard it talked about on a lot of podcasts that people want to always look ready for pictures for Instagram and, you know, and, and if you're successful, like, listen, I can tell you, man, the last time that I contest prepped, I could stop at any point in the day, any point in a workout, snap a picture and, uh, you know, in a tank top or something. And that picture is automatically going to get a ton of likes, you know, versus, If you're if you're not looking lean, it's not nearly as impressive. You got you have to be really really big, like really big, to be right. to be impressive for a big out of shape picture. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, totally. Your likes are going to go down. Like literally, people live off of that stuff. Like their 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 sense of happiness and sense of worth is so related to you know how how we're judged. And how we're judged by other people relates a lot to social media nowadays. So, yeah, it, it's a struggle, man. And I think, honestly, that that's one of the reasons that smaller divisions are more appealing. Because people don't have to push that so far. And they don't have to spend mm-hmm. too much time out of shape, you know? They right. can They can stay closer to what they've always been. Yeah. There's... um. There's so many aspects to the psychology. Like you're, What you're talking about is so true. And that's a function of what we're exposed to. So like those, the, the really, really big guys who you're just so impressed by their size, you sort of overlook consciously or otherwise the fact that they've got a little more body fat. Those are the pro level physiques that you, that, you know, that you, that you follow on Instagram yeah. or that come across in the, you know, Machiavelli or the, you know, all the, all the um, motivational videos. Yeah. They're not middleweights. Eating. They're not off-season no. middleweights at two fifteen. You know? In large part, no, they're not. You know, so so you can't. Uh, here's the thing: like a, a very sort of black and white way of looking at it is, um, I think generally speaking, that getting leaner and being really shredded is much easier for most people than getting really really large. Yeah, um, you can you can literally butt up against that sort of um, not only personal genetic limitation but the limitation for the species of, you know, somewhere around 4% body fat, most people can get there if they're willing to push. And even if you don't have a whole lot of muscle mass, when you're at 4% or 5% or like even just single digit percent body fat, yeah. you look badass. Yeah. You're shredded. And and that's legit too, in my mind as well. Like it's like someone put in the effort there. That was not, that's not an easy thing to attain. Yeah. They did some crazy shit. But someone who's not that big, and gets as big as they possibly can, 
you know, on the grand scale of things, you get to a guy who's like the biggest he can get to is, you know, 205 pounds. And you're comparing him to like, you know, 300 pound off season pros. Mm-hmm. He's two thirds the size, like literally. Yeah. And it's not impressive at all. Yeah. So you can literally, natural bodybuilders can match or beat pros in conditioning. They can, they can compare. But sure. size wise, they're like, you got to, a guy who's on stage over 200 pounds who's a natural competitor and people are claiming drugs, 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 drugs. Yeah. And possibly with good reason. Like that's that's really, really big. Those are the best in the world, best genetics, training mar- training badasses, genetic marbles. Most of those guys, you know, are in, in the sub 200 range. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, you got, you know, a lot of guys that are 240, 250 or, pl- or more than that in the pros. So, um it makes sense that we're, you know, if you want to be extraordinary, which is what kind of bodybuilding is about in some way, shape, or form, that you go for that target, which is to be really, really lean and literally look like a bodybuilder. So you're mm. recognizable as one. Yeah. And you wouldn't, you don't look recognizable as a bodybuilder to most people. Like, the, the, do you train if, you know, you're sort of average sized and 15 or 18% body fat yeah. or even relative, you just look kind of like a big guy. Um, but it's clear that you train, it's obvious that you train and we want that gratification just for ourselves, like literally looking in the mirror, like you said, like you take a picture anytime you look badass, but just in general too, like we're social animals. Yeah. So it's an, it's an easier, it's just a more attractive fruit, you know? Yeah. And it's, and um, you can have it sooner too. Like I could decide, Hey, yeah. I want to, you know, do something with fitness, gain 10 pounds of muscle or get sub 10%. You could gain ten pounds of muscle for sure. It's going to take longer, and it's not going to be it's not going to be as dramatic either. You know, if you do an off season, um, your before and after picture of what you look like before you started bulking to what you look like after isn't as impressive as from bulking to dieting down. You know, you get changes while you diet every week. When you're dieting, mm-hmm. you know, you can see like, oh, my abs are coming in. My lower back's looking tighter. You know, all those mm-hmm. things keep improving each week, each week versus you might not physically see a ton, you know, week to week in the off season. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. a slower, slower process. But I'll tell you what, though, man, it's those people that can embrace that. That's where the real reward is with bodybuilding. The people that can mm-hmm. embrace that and delay the gratification you can and that's so hard i think for so many of us in bodybuilding because a lot of us are drawn to this because we have extreme personalities and we don't want to delay the gratification you know not to get all into psychology here but i think there's you know it's true there's a lot to that and you know the thing like that i that i remember seeing um many years ago that you'd hardly ever see now that dante used to post a lot um, you know, some people like think that, you know, Dante invented the idea of progressive overload, which of course he didn't, and he would admit that, but that's such a central necessary theme of DC training that, um, that he, he would post about those things and he would, he would post literally logbook results, um, from DC clients back when he was still training people regularly, just starting out, you know, introducing DC to the world. And you'd see like the week to week changes, like on someone's, you know, take a pendulum squat. Yeah. You know, and the weight is, you know, 125 pounds on the thing. And then it's one, one, 130 and then 132 and a half, you know, and the reps are going up and the weights going, they're just going back and forth and they just grind and grind and grind and they hold on to the exercise by micro loading over the course of years. Okay. Um, I remember uh, when Jordan Peters came on Fuad's mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. And he was talking, he was explaining sort of his training philosophy to Fuad. And um, Fuad wasn't, and this isn't a knock on Fuad at all, but he wasn't, he had never heard of, because um, he hadn't trained that way. It's not sort of the philosophy that he'd been introduced to. He hadn't heard of someone training the way that the Jordan does, where he literally is looking to, you know, microload those improvements bit by bit, just inch by inch, millimeter by millimeter, to use your favorite SI units. Uh, <laughs> inside joke. Um, you know, month after month, session after session, like those things add up and, uh, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. And if someone who is sort of trained to using a logbook, you post like here, like, look at like, here's my, my, like my, um, 
you know, before and after pictures bulking. And then you put the logbook results and you compile like, you know, January 10th, 2020 or 2019 to current. And it's like, look, this person's increased their strength by 75%. And, and not only did it, it was just before and after, but you show every single one of those 47 workouts that they went through where they did that, you know, and they maybe cycled on and off and they just stair-stepped their way up to that, that increase in strength in mm-hmm. a good loading zone and rep zone for muscle growth. That's impressive. Like that's, that's fortitude right there. That's perseverance. That's like sticking, sticking to it and coming every day and doing battle in the gym to force those gains in a progressive overload fashion. Yeah. But you don't see that, but that's not just, and you can't do that when you're staying overly lean too. You know, it's just, you just can't make those gains because your, your, your diet isn't there for the recovery purposes. Mm, yeah. So it all kind of makes sense, you know, as far as the off season bulking. So there's a lot of like, I mean, what else did I have here in this table? Um, uh, yeah. So people are asking about being, uh, the body fat percentage for lean gains, the P ratio, how to be lean year round without bulking. Um, like that's literally a selling point for good reason too. I forgot to mention this or I wanted to mention this is that a lot of the people who are influencers that we see, you know, posting the pictures that are sort of setting the tone, um, they're coaches and not only they have lifestyle clients as well as competitive clients. And what is almost every lifestyle client want? Like what's their number one goal? Yes, pretty much (laughs) abs and a nice butt. Like they want to get leaner one way or another, you know, whether a guy or a woman, they, that's it. Yeah. So that's the goal. Like, so it makes sense. Like if you post pictures, if you maintain a lean physique all the time, you basically are demonstrating that you, you can walk the walk and while you talk the talk. Sure. And that's what it's all about. You know, it's, um, now if you're someone who is trying to, you know, focus on competitors and, and gaining size, then you, you know, you got a different advertising strategy, but like, I mean, if you think about the people listening now, perhaps maybe we've got a different sort of segment here for, you know, all of the Think Big podcasts that you have and mine maybe in particular, but just in general, in the whole fitness industry, the whole Insta world, it's mainly kind of lifestyle people who might, they might compete, maybe think about competing, maybe go to shows, but a lot of them are just wanting to be lean and look badass. Yeah. You know, so they want to be leaner. That's what everyone's wanting. So, um, that then perspective, not that that wasn't the case 20 or 30 years ago. I think it still is. But now in the kind of competitive realm where people who are wanting to compete and wanting to become better bodybuilders, have better physiques, they're getting exposed to that generalized mindset of being leaner. Yeah. And when they're trying to take it all in, they're like, there's no one setting that tone for just friggin' go for it with the food, yeah. you know, and put it. Like I remember years ago, another story. Sorry, old guy story time. That's all right. We, couple, we have time couple, for one now. Okay, we move, good. We move to the next segment. Yeah, so let me know. Let me know when my you know I'm getting close to my the buzzer here. We're like, we're getting there. Like we're getting we're I, we're closing. I feel in. like I'm doing my mandatories and I'm about to get the ten second <laughs> rule. You know, oh shit, do the most muscular before I run out of time. Thank you very much. Thank you very <laughs> <Okay>. much. <laughs> Thank you, number thirty-seven. Get the hell off stage. Yeah, yeah. We've had enough of you. Um, Got to train with a couple powerlifters back in the day in, mm. in Arizona. Um, and, you know, we would go eat. And we'd go to, like, um, uh, what was the name of the buffet? Old, it was an Old oh. Town buffet. Old it was country? just one of those. Old Country buffet, I think is what it was. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we had those here, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy and garlic bread and spaghetti <laughs> and lasagna. You know, there was, yeah. like... There was, you know, chicken, and you could you could like peel away the breast, but it was like you know whole pieces of chicken, yeah, um, half chickens, and like and those guys just they're just wanted to be big yeah. and strong, and it was such a good for for the off season. It was such a good sort of um, mentality to be exposed to. Is like, you know, like don't you don't got to peel the skin off your chicken, just oh, eat it. You need yeah. food, you need calories. You know, it was the mindset that, you know, you've seen some of a lot of powerlifters, like they just want to get as many calories in because they know that means maximum strength, maximum recovery. Sure. Not, not in, you know, always, if you eat the wrong stuff, it's, you could cause some issues with inflammation, that sort of thing. But that mentality of really pushing the limits was really kind of cool. Like those guys didn't care. It's like, we, you know, you look pretty. I just want to be strong, you know? 
And that's kind of like, the sh- that's, a, that's a difficult shift to make psychologically. It is. To go yeah. from, you know, I want to be as just the guy who is just, just master of gravity in the gym. Mm-hmm. And I'm picking up, I'm training heavier than anyone else has ever seen in this gym. Like, I'm going to just go to town and just dominate this shit. To now, I'm going to keep doing that, but and I don't care. I'm going to just get. I'm going to. I'm going to eclipse the sun with my size. You know, mm. I want to be just so big, like I look inhuman. And then you want to go to. I want to be so absolutely, utterly shredded mm. that pe- that looks like I don't even have skin, skinless. Like those are like very two opposite ends of the spectrum that um, are difficult for for one mind to embrace, especially when true. you're going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Yeah. It's a difficult thing psychologically. And when the environment isn't cultivating that, you don't have anyone to follow like powerlifters or other bulking bodybuilders. It's like, you know, yeah. you're going to have to be a lone wolf, which is a difficult thing to do. I remember social animals like it wasn't are. super, super long ago. Um, sometime last year, though, I remember Ron Partlow saying, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but it was so good. He was like, I was bloated and full for 15 years straight (laughs) right you know yes i was bloated and full for 15 years he's like every day just felt bloated and full you know and that's that's the way that it is for a long time you know you i could keep going on with this too because i i do i think back to what the culture was like and and then the the previous the gym culture segment we just talked about you, the, the people that you went to see day to day in the gym, they weren't competitors. You weren't there showing off in front of them in your, you know, your latest gym shark outfit or whatever. You wore just right. big shirts. If if I fit into an XL, I was at least wearing a two X, and I didn't right. look at myself. You know, we didn't look at ourselves. We didn't show off to ourselves. We just kept it covered up. That's at least that's the way we were here in Detroit. We kept it covered up under two or three layers and we just did the work. And when we got in shape, we did the exact same thing. Although when we were done training, and this is different for gym culture today than it was then, you could peel down to your underwear right on the gym floor. Oh, yeah. In pose. I still do that. Right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you probably get some looks nowadays. I guess it depends on the gym. If you're like at Derek's gym. It totally depends on the gym. You know? Yeah. We could do a whole video yeah. sequence on like at Planet Fitness, just, you know, pulling your shorts down to flex your quads and see what happens, right. you know, but it it, it, yeah. it it is something where we used to just like you just did the work and you showed it off on stage. You saved right. it for stage, you know, you saved it for that. Although yeah. there there is something to be said about enjoying it, too. Like, hey, I'm enjoying the fact that I'm under 10 percent. Boom. You know, for Instagram, right. which we didn't, we didn't do a lot of that. There weren't as many pictures back then, you know? Yeah. And this is like, there's, there's such a broad spectrum of kind of mindsets um, because there is without a doubt some truth to the, the narcissism and the egotistical mindset that, that bodybuilding can, um, that, that can be part of the mindset that tracks people to bodybuilding. Sure. It's a sort of, it's a narcissistic endeavor. You look at yourself in the mirror, literally like Narcissus looking at his reflection, like that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And so there can be, you know, individuals who like you've, you know, you've, you've seen this before someone who is constantly checking themselves out in the mirror. Um, like, and they, like they're always looking and, that could, there's so, so many reasons that that can be happening. One could be a literally, um, they actually sort of in a somewhat of a subjective fashion are looking at um, body fat levels or looking at the physique and evaluating it. And then one, one or the other of the spectrum, I just, it's just sort of an intuitive sense that I get this, this it could be because they're showing off or they're, they're insecure to some degree. Hmm. Yeah. So it's just this total narcissistic endeavor. And one of the things that I think is, and this is this is just sort of my general, um, you know, impression, the kind of a litmus test for um, whether where some what someone's perspective is on posing and looking at themselves in the gym is to the extent to which like their posing is actually like true posing practice. Mm-hmm. Whether whether they spend time, for instance, after or maybe before a workout, or generally like actually practicing practicing posing, like in the interview we did with Derek, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he practices posing. You know, we did it when I was training with him every day. Yeah. You know, for the last like eight weeks, we would go and he would, you know, I just he run through the mandatories and I offer up some of my my thoughts. And you know, and he'll but he'll also in his gym he'll stop and just take a look at himself too and hit a pose. But he's doing that using the eye of a bodybuilder, right? Not the eye of a narcissist, right? You know, and I mean, it, I've seen and you've seen this too, probably in competitions and. I've, I've just know this has got to be the source of this just because I've seen it so many times is there are people who like literally they all that they're sort of um, they're selfie posing. You can use that term now. It wasn't for the term selfie was around. It, it was still the same thing. And they, they pose in the gym or at home in their bathroom mirror, what have you. Yeah. And then when they get up on stage, they're posing as like, like the legs aren't even posed. Right. Right. So generally, you know, they're, they're not doing anything because they, this was especially true back in the day when you didn't have as many social media ways to see like live posing, like with, with feeds and those sorts of things. So no one, like you didn't really know what good posing was and you see people posing who look like they're posing as they would in their bathroom mirror. Mm -hmm. And those people who are just posing in the gym constantly, you know, between sets and those sorts of things who don't ever do the posing, the, like the real posing Mm -hmm. where they're, where they're fine tuning the craft of presentation that suggests to me that there's sort of some different intentions and different mm. motivations and reasons for looking at themselves in the mirror. They're not just evaluating their physique because yeah. that's really best done from a competitive bodybuilding perspective. When you are stripped down mm-hmm. and you're practicing your posing and you're trying to make sure that you're presenting your physique in the best light possible, yeah. doing everything you can to make that those, those poses sh- show what you've got as opposed to, you know, just hitting a quad shot or like checking things out. It's nice to cool, nice and cool to do every once in a while. And just fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, it's like revving the engine at the stoplight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, you got to get on the analogy. track every once in a while. Yeah. Right. It's kind of <laughs> like, mm, look what I got. You know, this is cool. Yeah. And it's so much fun. When, don't get me wrong. When you're dieting down and you're like starting to see shit that maybe you've never seen before, or like, you know, you've got this crazy definition or dryness or vascular. It's like, wow, this is, this is just cool. You're like, it's like almost, you see a crazy picture of like Ruli or, or a Ronnie or what have you, like, holy shit, that's fucking ridiculous. Yes. You see that in yourself, and it's, it's okay to be impressed by what you've just seen because it's fucking cool. Like, you just, you did that. You created that. You brought that to life. So that's that's badass. But if it's always just that, then that's different than sort of being someone who's uh, trying to be a master of their craft as a bodybuilder in terms of presenting their physique. Absolutely, you know, on stage. it is. Yeah, yeah. Totally different so, thing. What do we got next year Let's, topic wise? Well, listen, we're at about an hour here. What do you say okay. we wrap this thing up and, uh, cool. and, and call it a day? Cause I know we had some other stuff we were going to do. Uh, plenty more. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, in that case, guys, of course, check out uh true, excuse me. Yeah. True nutrition. That's what I was going to say. Actually, I was going to say, check out fortitude training.net. And I was also going to say, go to uh B Y O B B coach.com. You can also go to uh, Amazon. And look up Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach by Scott Stevenson. Uh, Awesome freaking book. I prefer the hardcover because it's nice to have something in your hands. Plus, then when you go and you see Scott at the gym, wait for him to finish his set and say, sir, (laughs) doctor, would you sign this for me? No, no. Don't do that. I'll sign books. Like That's no problem with the doctor thing. I was giving Scott shit on that. That was another inside joke, kind of. But don't. (laughs) <laughs> don't don't really do that or do it don't, do don't it but have your and... friend record it so i can see scott's reaction <laughs> <laughs> i'm not that bad with it i get it all the time and so. do check out truenutrition.com as well yeah. uh, scott as always it's been a pleasure my friend likewise <laughs>